0: If you have a mental illness, it is safe to try the, the things that you already have first. If you are beyond that point where you're causing harm to yourself or others, it's absolutely time to seek care to de-escalate your acute mental illness episode.
1: This is the Brother Be Well podcast. We're focused on mental health needs for boys and men of color, including trauma and healing. This podcast series is sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Get ready for real talk. And to our parents and caregivers, listen up, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Most of us are familiar with, or at least aware of, the moment at which we need to call 911 for a physical emergency. You get in a car accident. You fall off a ladder and break a bone. Someone's unconscious, maybe, and doesn't appear to be breathing. After situations like those, you or a loved one might wind up in a conventional emergency room. But just as there are moments like those, there are mental health emergencies that necessitate a similar swift intervention and a trip to the psychiatric ER. Today, in one of a series of Brother Be Well conversations in our Parents and Caregivers series, made possible by the support of Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, we're exploring when and how to use your local emergency room when managing a mental health crisis. My partner for this conversation, Cherie Kreiner, registered nurse, former psychiatric nurse, and vice president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. Cherie, welcome back to Brother Be Well.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Important topic here.
1: Really important topic. Let's jump right on in here, Cherie. First, can you share with us what constitutes a mental health crisis or emergency?
0: So a mental health crisis or emergency is when the person is having mental symptoms that cause a, that pose a harm to themselves or others. So this is someone that may be causing physical harm to their body. They're unable to control their actions, which pose a risk for something happening to them, or they are actually not in control of their uh, behaviors, and they may be causing harm to others that are are around them.
1: I've heard of it. Sounds a lot like a term I've heard before: psychotic break, and it may fit that description. I'm wondering if you don't mind, what's a psychotic break? Is that a colloquial term for psychiatric emergency? And does a panic attack fall into that category?
0: Um, so yes, that's definitely a term for a psychiatric emergency, and um, and kind of the term psychotic break specifically speaks to kind of the change. Right? Someone could have a mental illness, but very much so being controlled, uh, being medicated. They could be having difficulty, but they may be able to reach out to their psychiatrist or their primary care provider to get help with an increase in symptoms or symptoms that are not going away. But the term break is exactly what you would think about in a psychiatric emergency. I'm at a point where I can no longer control or manage my symptoms alone. I need a higher level of help and there's an element of risk there. If I do not receive this help, something may happen to me or others around me. Um, a panic attack, I would drop in a different bucket. Um, there's definitely times where you're having a panic attack and you're not able to manage your symptoms and you need to seek medical care. But if once again, if you are able to manage your symptoms, with um, medications or techniques that your primary care provider or psychiatrist has worked with you on, then you can have a panic attack and overcome it. Uh, the, The point at which you want to seek emergency services is when you are no longer able to take care of those symptoms on your own or you're posing a risk to yourself or others.
1: That's really an important distinction. I appreciate it, Chris. I appreciate it, Sheree, and I know other people are going to appreciate that as well. Thank you for that. There's been a sharp influx in mental health patients heading to emergency rooms. I'm wondering what your take is on that.
0: Well, Michael, being a nurse in psychiatry and uh, mental health facilities, I realize that the resources are just low. Um, More and more. Places have closed down over the years and there just isn't access to adequate care. So you have a lot of folks with no place to go, but still really dealing with their symptoms. And so they have to go where they can go. Or, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the the psychiatric emergency turns into an interaction with law enforcement um, and that's where they're met with getting help, which may result in them going to get uh, psychiatric help or may, unfortunately, resort in them going um, with the law enforcement route because they're unsure of how to deal with the emergency. So I think that's why we're seeing the current state that we're in, because there are just less and less places for people with mental illness to go. Well,
1: wow. I wow. appreciate you sharing that as well. I hadn't thought about this. There are fewer resources available. You've got years of experience, Cherie, working in psychiatric ERs. I won- I'm wondering if you don't mind, take our viewers and listeners behind those front lines, if you would, what does a psychiatric ER look like? I'm just so curious. What can someone expect if they or a loved one wind up there? What role do psychiatric nurses play there? Um, And how does a psychiatric ER differ from the standard one that we might be more familiar with?
0: Right. So um, all of our standard emergency rooms, emergency departments, um, all are able to take a person and create um, that initial assessment and send people where they need to go or treat symptoms, right? So any emergency room when someone is having um, a medical emergency, which is a a mental health emergency, um, that is one place that you can go. It's often the most frequented place when someone is having an issue. Um, Depending on where you live, they also have crisis centers for people with known mental illnesses where they can go get evaluated. Um, And then often, Michael, you may have heard the term 5150, where someone is evaluated and if they need to be held for evaluation, further evaluation or treatment or even longer term treatment, um, then that 72 hours, then medical professionals are able to evaluate that. Um, that team may look like a physician in the ER, a psychiatrist, a nurse, mental health workers that help attend to uh, the physical needs while a person with a mental illness is being evaluated. Um, And that whole team works together to make sure to keep the person safe and also to get the treatment that is needed to get over that acute situation that's happening. So there's two goals when you seek care. One is to handle the acute situation. Are you suicidal? Have you hurt yourself? Have you hurt someone else to decrease those symptoms? And then the second is what now? Do we need to release you to home? Do we need to release you to a higher level of care for longer treatment? So the goal is to help that initial um, situation, but then also um, help with that next move.
1: And it sounds like, Cherie, you you talked about, you used the term acute situation. I'm wondering, I I learned a term as I was uh, preparing to talk to you, de-escalation. So based on what you just said, it sounds like when, when you talked about a situation where you're a threat to yourself or others, the goal of, of the entry, so to speak, into a psychiatric ER is to deescalate that person and get them back down to that level that you're talking about. Do I understand this correctly?
0: Absolutely. Just as the word says, to deescalate, to bring down. So if someone is yelling, screaming, hitting, fighting, you want to um, use different modalities, which may be um, talking to the person, maybe medications at that point, um, to decrease that response. Um, If someone comes in and they're suicidal and that changes or they're no longer uh, having the same experience that they were having when they came in, then you're able to move on to that second phase of treatment. But until you're out of that initial phase and you de-escalate the situation, then you're not really able to move past helping that initial acute phase. So absolutely.
1: And we've got, you and I have a separate video, uh, Cherie, on psychiatric meds. I would think meds can play a role in that de-escalation process.
0: Absolutely. Um, medication is surely a tool where we can help to essentially chemically help someone calm down or relax. Um, doesn't come without risk, right? So you're, you're taking a medication, you're at risk for side effects, am at risk for over-sedation. So it's definitely done with a team approach where a physician is prescribing the right type of medication to help in de-escalating when other methods are not um, helpful. In extreme situations, Michael, I have had to restrain patients uh, and able to give them medication or to prevent them from causing harm to themselves. We have very um, strict protocols and practices to make sure that it's safely done. Um, but all in the name of really being able to provide the safest environment for the person that's experiencing that extreme uh, mental illness, acute situation.
1: And I appreciate you saying that. I think some of the the signs of, you know, um, scenes rather with, with regard to uh, restraints, we've seen them in popular movies and just mm-hmm. like everything, they're kind of over, I bet they're exaggerated, frankly, for those <laughs> mass media productions. And I think that, but those, some of those images are probably what scares people a little bit when you're talking about a psychiatric ER. So the critical word, the salient word for for me, from what you just said, uh, Cherie, was in extreme situations. And you said, I have on occasion, it's not something that happens every day or all the time.
0: Absolutely. It's not. And even if we choose to restrain a patient, then there's protocols in place where we're checking to make sure that their circulation is okay, that their breathing is fine, um, it's checked very frequently. And in fact, we even have a plan at which point we take them out of restraints so that you're not just tying someone, you know, wrist and, and ankles bound to a bed and leaving them there. We actually have a very specific protocol in place. And that's not just led by specific institutions, but also the law and the governing bodies that oversee healthcare institutions. So it's very prescribed what to do, how to do it, and the goal from the very beginning is to get them out of restraints as soon as possible.
1: Got it. Really appreciate that perspective and that information. As COVID-19 shifts from the pandemic stage to the endemic one, at the the time of this production, we're about two years into this uh, global pandemic, but it's shifting to an endemic phase. And many of us might be initially at least reluctant to go to an emergency room or to a hospital in general. For a situation that we may believe that we can manage on our on our own, unfortunately, a lot of people still think that mental health crisis—a mental health crisis rather—can be managed by ourselves or prayed away. We've talked about that on the Brother Rewell mm-hmm. platform. What would you say to to one of those people, Sheree, that might be? You know, certainly in need of a psychiatric ER and, and, and um, interventions uh, for medical professionals, uh, mental health professionals, but they're afraid to, to take that step and go into the hospital or be checked into a hospital.
0: Right. Well, I'll say two things. If you or your loved one has a mental illness, then you should have a plan. That plan should include in plain sight uh, contact phone numbers for your psychiatrist and your primary care provider, a list of medications that you're taking. And with that list of medications, which medications to take when your mood has changed or something has differed, Um, are there medications that you're prescribed to take as needed when you notice that your symptoms are changing? So it is safe to try the, the things using the tools that you already have first. If you are beyond that point, or as I previously mentioned, where you're causing harm to yourself or others, it's absolutely time to seek care, to de-escalate your acute mental illness episode. So it's important to go and get the care that you need. Um, As I mentioned before, because we have a gap in this area, um, no matter where you live, oftentimes it shows up as a family member, either, like I said, causing harm to themselves or others. um, You call 911 and a police officer shows up. And the police officer is gonna de-escalate in the way that they're trained. They're not mental health professionals. They can't provide medication or assessment, but they can de-escalate and restrain a person. So now your um, loved one is going through that process and then can potentially be sent for the right level of care at that point. Um, but it's important that if you are able to get your loved one to um, a mental health facility or emergency department safely to do so, if you cannot do so, them, um using your resources to contact um, your local um, um, authorities or um, in some places which I'm really happy that I'm seeing now, they're having mental health response teams in different counties that you can actually call and they send out a therapist and a physician and someone that's trained in de-escalating mental health situations to help get your loved ones safely to where they need to go. so my 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 biggest thing here, Michael, is really, Having a plan and knowing your resources prior to this situation happening so that you're as prepared as possible to safely get the care you need or safely get your loved one the care they need.
1: It makes all the sense in the world to me, Sheree, just as you have, in some form, most people have some version of a first aid kit in their house. It might not be all put Mm -hmm. together, but you got Band-Aids and antiseptic Mm -hmm. and, you know, the basic things that you might need. And it sounds like you're saying there's a list of basic things that we might need in case there's a mental health emergency and we need to have that all organized in some fashion prior to the event.
0: Absolutely. Keeping, as I mentioned, a list of your medications if there's medications that you can take as needed or PRN um, when you are experiencing um, anxiety or a shifted mood uh, or whatever your your care plan may be from your physician, having that information readily available so that you're prepared to try to respond to yourself as quickly as possible, but then also know when it's time to seek uh, care and have those resources down so that you can get in contact with mental health professionals as soon as possible. Those are the experts that know how to take care of what your issue um, is at that time. And that's really where you want to go. Like I mentioned, there's other pathways to getting there, but you really want to get the help that you need when you need it.
1: Sheree, without knowing it, I think you just signed up to be my partner for a conversation. We'll do one right on this platform <laughs> about putting that emergency plan together. Would you do it with us? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Really look for-
1: Look for that phone call. Looking forward to it. For this conversation, let's touch on 911. Most of us know about that number. We learned it in this country as little kids, a lot of us, and that's the primary number that we call during an emergency. Um, can I confirm or can you correct me on whether or not that's the right three digit number to call if there's a psychiatric emergency?
0: So 911 is a number to call if there's any type of emergency, You it, whether it's physical health, mental health, fire, whatever may be happening. It's still a viable number. They have dispatchers that can listen to the situation and dispatch the right folks. So we're going to get your fire department, your ambulance, your local police, whoever needs to respond based on the current situation. So that's always a go-to number that you absolutely can use. Um, 988 is the the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That, that specifically is for someone that is looking to harm themselves. They may be suicidal, meaning that they um, want to die or want to kill themselves. They may have a plan and they may have the equipment or modality there available to do so. So the folks at the National Suicide Hotline are trained in helping you figure out um, what it is that may be contributing to those. Uh, feelings and then also to help get you to the right level of care. So, 988 gets you directly to, once again, mental health providers that are trained with what you are going through. If you're at a level where you're able to talk to someone or text with someone to discuss the situation, if you're beyond that and you're acutely at risk, um, then you want to call 911 or go to the closest emergency department to where you are.
1: So appreciate that uh Cherie. and for the benefit of those that are listening on on an audio podcast of this conversation 911 any emergency 988 is if someone is suicidal and and there's a threat that for them to take their own lives and and that national suicide hotline if you prefer to text that number is 741 741 that's 741 741 for texting suicides 988 uh, is the three digit number and the traditional 911 for any emergency. Really appreciate you walking us through that, Sheree. We're talking about both inpatient and outpatient psychiatric care as a part of our parents and caregivers series of videos. But as we wrap up this conversation on psychiatric ERs, I'm wondering, we don't often have a former psychiatric nurse on this platform. So I'm wondering, do you have any other information about emergency rooms roles in a mental health crisis for the Brother Be well family. Anything else you'd like to impart before we take off?
0: Yeah, I just want to remind everyone that the goal is always to de-escalate, stabilize and find resources for yourself or your loved one. And the best way to advocate for that is to have all of your information ahead of time as much as you can so that you're providing the appropriate history to help the healthcare team help you. The more information that we have, the better equipped we are to provide the right type of service and also to make sure that we set you up with resources outside of the event, right? Um, Resources to help you with your everyday mental illness as well as ways to hopefully prevent these acute episodes for those times that it's appropriate. So just make sure that you have a mental health plan. Um, The goal is always to get with mental health providers in a mental health setting Uh, to provide the best level of care. Um, As I previously mentioned to recap, you can get de-escalation from a regular emergency department. Um, That may include um, law enforcement, as I mentioned, that are not specifically trained in mental health, but trained in de-escalation and uh, providing a safe environment to get you to the next level of care. Just understand all the resources that are available to you and have a plan so that you get the best, safest, response in the event that you need emergency psychiatric care
1: because it's absolutely not the kind of situation that you want to arise and you're not prepared and you haven't thought about it in
0: advance absolutely
1: sheree kreiner registered nurse former psychiatric nurse vice president of the capital city black nurses association and my talk buddy for these brother be well videos and and (laughs) podcasts really appreciate it sheree thanks a lot
0: Thank you so much for having me again.
1: And I want to thank our sponsor for this particular video, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, which boosts access to mental health support. You can learn all about that fantastic program at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another website that I'll tell you about, brotherbewell.com. If you enjoyed this video, if you learned something today, check out our website brotherbewell.com videos just like this one audio podcasts compelling print pieces stories of resilience and strength and recovery that are going to help you on your way to being well so check it all out at brotherbewell.com we're a membership supported service so if you can join us as a member that's fantastic if you'd like to start out a little more slowly give us your email address you'll have access to our blog that's perfectly free and two or three times a week as videos like this one go live you'll get notified notifications about those in your email box so that's all at brotherbewell.com my name is michael p coleman i'm content director for brother be well asking you to do two things for me till we get to talk again take great care of yourself we're trying to give you everything you need to do that once you get it down reach out help somebody else take care of them too until next time bye-bye Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Brother Be Well podcast. Join the BBW membership at BrotherBeWell.com so we can learn to heal trauma together. Thanks also to Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative for sponsoring this podcast and supporting parents and caregivers in need. I'm Leon Guidry, and we're out.